Hello, East Glenville Community Church. This is Jessica Munn, and we're trying something here. So me and Pastor Mitch wanted to create a space where we could discuss and ask additional questions based on the Sunday morning passage. And so right now, it's just the two of us. We've gathered here, and we're hoping that this conversation will give us new insight into God's word and how we can apply it together. And so this recording is based on the September 12th message called All My Friends Are Heathens on Jonah chapter 3. Uh, Pastor Mitch, are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, so I have a question. Uh, you start off your sermon with the main question of what is the best way to approach people outside the faith with the message of salvation when they don't think they need to be saved. And so I wanted to ask, why should we as Christians be concerned about sharing our faith? And doesn't it doesn't asking what the best way to share our faith is means that we're trying to force our views and perspectives on other people? Mm. So, first of all, I, I came up with a question based on, like, Jonah's experience in in chapter 3, where he he takes a message to a city... Um, about God's coming judgment. And it made me think about, like, in what way are we in that situation? Mm -hmm. And we interact with people outside the church. And so in what ways do we find ourselves in the same place as Jonah? So that's one reason why I sort of started with that question. Um, And I do think we have to be concerned with sharing our faith. I mean, the, the, especially the New Testament's all over that. It talks, gives us the command to go and, and spread the good news about Jesus, to, mm-hmm. to make disciples, to bear witness to our faith, to be ready to, to give answers for people with questions. Um, so I think part of this message is thinking about, okay, we, we're called to do this. What's the best way to do it? How do we do it in the right way? Is it different from Jonah's time to our time? Mm. And and one of the things I hope, even in this conversation, is like, what has changed from your generation? You're you're a generation younger than me. Um, to you know how we tried to to share the the good news when I was doing youth ministry with teenagers, and what how is it different now? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the things I, I'm sort of even exploring with this. I don't necessarily have the all the answers, but. I know the Bible wants us to bring the good news of Jesus to, to, to people. Got it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Okay. So I have another question. Okay. Uh, you gave at the beginning of your sermon three evangelist, evangelical assumptions. Um, and if I had them ready. Okay. So the first one, just to recap, uh, was that everyone needs the salvation that only Jesus can offer. Uh, the second was receiving salvation requires an individual response. And the third was mental assent is not enough. What is needed is heart repentance. And so you kind of just threw those out there and said, like, I'm going to throw these out there. There's biblical um, backing for this. And so I'm curious, what is that big biblical backing? Okay. Well, each of those assumptions is, is its own sermon. Um, <laughs> but I can at least get something started. So... Um, what was the first one again? Oh, yeah. I can uh, uh, 
Everyone needs the salvation oh, that only Jesus can offer. Yes, that only Jesus can. Uh, there's a verse that says we are given only one name. There's only given one name under under heaven and earth by which people can be saved. Or Jesus says, I'm the only way to, to get to the Father. Mm. And so there's a lot of verses that relate to that idea that Jesus can do something that no one else can do. That's at Christmas time we say he's the Savior of the world. Right. It's because he alone can do that. Um, talking about what that means. Um, the second one plays off of that. Sometimes you get the idea that Jesus is the Savior of the world, meaning that it's a general salvation that has been done for everybody, whether they respond or not. Mm. And the there's other verses that call us to respond. The best one, I think, is John one twelve, where it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Mm. And so, but there are other verses that call us to respond. And... In one of your ideas you talk about, are there opposing views to that? Yeah. That is one that that some some churches generally see Jesus as the Savior who's already accomplished salvation for everyone. And it's called universalism. If we can only understand it, then we're, we're all good. Um, that there will be no one who's left out of that salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other passages where Jesus very clear says there'll be a judgment day and some some will end up turning away from God being cast out of God's presence so mm. when you go back to the last question why should we share our faith it's because we, we actually believe that that Jesus is the savior but people have to respond mm. the third one is is a bit harder to find a, a a verse on it says that it's not enough just to mentally assent you have to have heart heart repentance a heart response um i couldn't think of like a one verse that says it exactly that way mm-hmm. but but everything the bible talks about when it says believe it's it's a trusting kind of belief and there are talks about like it says the devil believes in god and and yet he's obviously on the wrong path right and and so there's a sense that Jesus invites us to follow him, to know him, to walk with him, um, and that in coming to him and knowing him, that's our salvation. It's not just a set of beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like a, like, not just, you can't just, like, listen and comprehend and understand. Like, you can't mm-hmm. just understand how to do math. You have to also be able to do the math problems. And so it's the, like... yeah. It's, yeah, internalizing something and not just being like, yeah, I understand that. That's a concept I get. So. Okay. All right. I have another question. Okay. Or did you want to ask this one? Well, yeah. Um, so, okay. We, we, we kind of, in the pre-talk, talked about the idea, did Jonas really fulfill the mission God had given him? And it seems like Jonah followed the letter of the law, but not the intent. How, how do you see it? Did Jonah actually do what God had commanded him? Yeah, I think I think it's cl- closest to, in your sermon, you gave the idea of a reluctant teenager. Um, but I think it's definitely seen that Jonah, he, it was almost like he was like, well, I'm going to 
do what you say, but I'm going to do it in a way that's not actually like really fulfilling God's heart desire, which mm-hmm. is to see people like God is salvation belongs to our God. God wants mm-hmm. to see people saved. And it's almost like Jonah was doing what God asked and speaking, speaking judgment without giving like the opportunity for the Ninevites to be able to respond and be saved. Mm-hmm. Cause like, just thinking through what other prophets in the old Testament do, like usually they call out judgment and then there's always some, or I shouldn't say always, but usually there's some sort of like repent, like turn, like just do the right thing. And this won't happen. Right. And Jonah doesn't do that. He just says, yep, Sorry, you're in 40 days. You got 40 days. All right. So. And now we're given a very quick account in Jonah. I would love to know more, like, how did that come to him? It just said the word of the Lord came to him, do this. Right. You know, did Jonah knowingly, like, just do what he had to do? Like, how obstinate was he being versus... Mm -hmm. You know, maybe could he have claimed ignorance? Well, God, I just did what you said. Right. You know, or did he really almost go against what God had said? So yeah. I'd be I'd be curious to have the inner counsels between Jonah and God to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, it is clear he, he wasn't trying to do what God wanted him to do. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Or or at least, yeah, what the, what the end result God wanted. Yeah. He wasn't going towards that. And yet God made it happen anyways. Yeah. Which is the, the fun part of that passage. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So in the other part of that, um, it, it talks about Jonah's, in his, in the chapter two, Jonah, when he repented, um, or when he prayed, he didn't really repent. And mm-hmm. there was no repentance in his prayer in chapter two versus the Ninevites drastic Right. Repentance. Um, was, do you think there's significance in what God was trying to get across in those those two chapters being back to back? Yeah, I was thinking, I was actually thinking, because so in your first sermon on Jonah, when we were starting to get the introduction, you talked about how uh, this, the book of Jonah is written to use some humor mm-hmm. to try to get under our skin and like kind of get behind our defenses. And so I was almost thinking like the contrast, like it's, it's in a way you could almost say it's hilarious. And the fact that like the Ninevites come and they're like putting their animals in sackcloth, which you, you mm-hmm. did that great illustration on in your sermon. And so it's like, it's almost like, wow, they're, they're going through every extreme to try to get God to hear them. And it's kind of like, ha, that's funny. But then when you compare it to Jonah, who's God's people, who knows God's character and knows he's wants to forgive, it's kind of like a, oh, like, I've definitely, like, done that at times mm. of, like, called out to God, but not actually, like, really wanted to repent. So you kind of, like, get, you know, you can, mm. you can kind of word it in a way where you're like, okay, God, like, I know that I need you, but, like, I don't want to admit where I'm stuck. Mm. And so I think it's like a way to kind of be like, yeah, so the people who don't even know, like don't know who God is at all, get it. But like Mm. God's own people sometimes don't get it. This is a a new question kind of just came to me is, is do Christians, especially long time Christians, start to take God's grace for granted Mm. versus a newer believer or someone who's on the edge of believing 
is 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 blown away by God's grace and forgiveness, you know, well, I know I can get away with that because he'll forgive me anyways. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that dynamic? I think it's definitely possible. Uh-huh. Um, and I think a lot of times it's linked to like a complacency mm. of like a like, oh, you know, me and God are cool. Um, right. it's, it's fine. And you're not, you're not really growing, but you're not, you can't really tell that you're backsliding. And I think okay. that can be a very dangerous spot to yeah. find yourself in. Okay. What else we got? Yeah. Uh, so here's another one. So if God is constant and like never breaks his promises and is never changing, changing, then how is it possible that he can relent from the destruction of the Ninevites? Mm. Like that seems to be a contradiction. That gets into theology. The the thing is in the Old Testament, especially God does seem to change his mind. Mm. And um, the Bible doesn't explain it. It just tells us that happened. Now, of course, God knew all things ahead of time. So he's not really changing his mind, but it's expressing something about God and when mm. it's doing that. And um, I think God, God is constant and never changing and trustworthy in the relationship he has with people. Mm. Um, you know, he is, the, the biblical word is kesed. He is covenant faithful to his covenant relationship with israel but even in that faithfulness he does things and allows things that would feel um almost they would accuse him of breaking his promise and he allows jerusalem to be conquered and destroyed Mm. more than once and and yet he never gives up on it he's on his people. He's faithful through the disasters he allows. Mm. And so I, I think we can, we can use the idea that God never changes to think, well, then, you know, I know exactly what's going to happen, but God and his sovereignty still can surprise us. Mm -hmm. So in some ways it's one of those God's ways are not our ways. And, um, I don't know if we can nail God down on some of the stuff. No, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I played two songs. Yes. During this last sermon. And I'd asked you ahead of time, and you said you weren't familiar with either of them. Correct. So I don't know how many people were. Um, one of them was a song called Jesus Freak from the 1990s that encourages people to be bold in their faith. And really almost aggressive in how they approach non-believers with the message. Mm -hmm. The other is a more recent song called Heathens from 2016 that um, challenges believers to take it slow and be patient and to not, um, in a sense, scare non-believers away by coming on too strong, not being too pushy. Mm -hmm. So... So which song resonated with you the most? Since you were there, they were both new to you. Did one of them yeah. strike you in a certain way? So I, to me, this was a hard question because I, I actually seem to find myself in the middle. 
Okay. Um, but I do have to say I did lean more towards all my friends are heathens mm. or heathens. I think is the technically yeah the actual name of the song, um, because just what I found is that a lot of times people like there are just barriers in their life that prevent them from believing that God is who he says he is and then believing that they need him in his life. And usually you have to slowly break down those barriers. And it's something that takes a relationship and it takes time and it takes, um, like it takes actually talking about these things, um, which is why like sometimes you need to be the Jesus freak. You need to bring stuff up. You need to be bold and actually like be willing to share your faith in natural conversation. Okay. But the relationship part and not just, and like, and acknowledging that some people have been hurt by the church and have, you know, have a history that you don't know, um, I think is definitely a necessity as well. So that's why, so I kind of tend to lean more towards heathens just because I think a lot of times, like, it's more of a, you need a relationship to really bring fruition Mm -hmm. than just a, a pamphlet or a program. Um, but I think that even even a pamphlet or a program can get that conversation started. Okay. That's an interesting thing that one of the points of heathens is that people are wounded. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they've been wounded by religious people, religious believers or churches or even pastors. And have you found that just listening and maybe acknowledging it, does that kind of open a door that was previously closed? I think it does. Um, I think it at least, at a minimum, it breaks the stereotype that they've created based Uh off of that hurt about Christians. Okay. Um, And so I think that that definitely, like, it it makes them seem like, oh, like, no, this is just a normal person. Like, oh, and this is a person who actually cares about me and doesn't just necessarily care about that I'm a Christian or not. Yeah. Um, Because I think sometimes you get, like, a Bible thumper. Um, is what I've heard it termed as, where they're just like constantly hitting you with the Bible instead of actually listening. Um, right. And just, you know, saying like, well, you know, all of your problems would be fixed if you just listen to this verse or that verse. Yeah. I think one of the things I struggle with is is defensiveness on behalf of, of Jesus or the church or whatever. And I I think God has been teaching me to listen and de-escalate mm. in a sense. And as I, I remember an incident in college when I was still kind of new and, I, you know, in class someone made some remark critical of Christianity and I tried to do some snide remark, which wasn't clever at all. And <laughs> I'm like, you know, okay, I, you know, I probably didn't come off too well on that mm-hmm. and learning how to, wow, that's, that's, terrible what happened that shouldn't be you know learning how to in a sense listen and de-escalate and you know i i it almost point them back to the 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 god who loves them in the midst of that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think that like i think part of why like even for me it was hard to answer your initial question of which side do i find myself on is that like i do know there are some people like there are some people who are more confrontational in general Mm. I, as a personality type, am not mm. super confrontational, um, but I'm super empathetic. And so for me, it's more natural to sit and listen. Um, but others, like, they want they want a he- not necessarily a heated discussion, but they want to actually have a full-out discussion and, okay. you know, a healthy argument. And I was thinking of, so I, 
I brought a book. Um, so it's called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. Oh, that's an old one. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that one a long time ago. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so it's it's one of those, the stories are definitely outdated. Yeah. But I, I've appreciated it. And there's one story that always resonated with, or that hit me hard the first time I heard it, where it was a person who, like, they were at an evangelistic event, and they actually got into a heated debate with someone, with an, a Jewish man, actually. And so there, you know, like, uh, volume of, of voice volume is rising, and they're, like, having a heated argument. And the guy is like, what am I doing? Like, I didn't want to start an argument, but here I am. And, like, they finish, and the Jewish man is just like, thank you. Like, this is the first time somebody has actually taken the time to defend what they mm. believe in. And now I can see that you fully believe what you just defended like i can see you care about it okay and so for that individual like the heated debate was exactly what he needed to be like okay like you guys actually believe what you're talking about let me look into it mm. whereas i think a lot more people don't like those type of arguments okay so i think i think there's definitely and you kind of reiterated this in your sermon like there is truth to both approaches right and it's finding what fits best for us and for the people that we're trying to connect with I know the reason Jesus Freak resonated with me in my young adult years is I felt like, as a Christian, the culture was telling us to, to, it's okay to be, you know, a bit religious or, you Mm. know, but just tone it down. Yeah. And, you know, that you're kind of weird if you're too into this Jesus thing. And I think that song was really in response to that idea of... Mm. Um, you know, well, if you just kind of go along and you, you play it cool, well, I'm not, you know, yeah, I go to church on Sunday, but I'm not that into it. Right. It doesn't actually influence yeah. my life decisions or anything. Yeah. Or just that you value fitting in ah, yes. more than you value your relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it kind of went hardcore on the other side to say, you know, don't care who, you know. Who cares what the world thinks? Mm-hmm. You you know, you have the truth. And I think I needed that mm. at times in my life. And I guess I wondered for your generation, is that you, you kind of your story you shared with from the, the book fits that. Mm-hmm. But do you think it is still a message sometimes young adults today need to hear? Young Christians? I'm trying to think because I think a lot more of what I've heard as a young adult and like just culturally speaking is the like okay you do you mm. and let me do me okay and kind of that like um tolerance of just like just let me do my own thing type of thing don't get in the way and so i think that's why especially like for heathens like it's a lot more not um aggressive or conf- um, right. conflicting approach um it's kind of a like okay i will let you do you but i'm also going to tell you how i do me and invite you to try it. There you go. Would be kind of that's kind of the approach I've taken, and mm. so I think I think that's why something like that resonates a little bit more with my generation. Okay. But I'm I'm speaking from my experience, which is limited. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, in some ways, I agree. That's ex- sort of why I brought it up because I I do think there's a lot of wisdom in in that heathen song. I thought it was mm-hmm. kind of. Remember when I first understood what he was saying? It's like, wow, this is profound, and they're playing this on the, the regular radio, right. versus uh, you know a Christian station. Um, I still I wonder if 
most of the people who listen to it because it is a, you know, even grasp what it's talking about. Right. Um, I there's actually a guy called Pop Pop Site, Pop Music Explained, and okay. he he does these and I actually looked up what he said and he my interpretation is exactly what he was saying. Mm. So it's not just me, yep. you know, de- de- deciphering that. I think the words are pretty clear about it. Um, but yeah, we should keep moving on to this. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think I will ask you this next one. Okay. Uh, so if God's the one who brings people to salvation, <laughs> then why do we even need evangelistic efforts or outreach programs? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, one is we're just commanded to 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 make an effort and to share our faith and so we are not commanded just to sit and wait you know for someone to amble up to us um mm-hmm. i think there are times when that happens but in, in one level so the let me back up i spent my young adult years, not just doing youth ministry, but trying to reach teenagers outside the church. Mm-hmm. And we made a great efforts and did all kinds of crazy things, 50 <laughs> foot Sundays and, uh, all kinds of games and incredible effort just to win a chance to, to tell kids a short message about Jesus that might get their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's both of, yes, those kids were worth that effort and the people out there are worth the effort of trying to, to gain a hearing Mm -hmm. and, and to do it well and to try to do it with wisdom. But you also just have to have that recognition when you go, God ultimately has to, to turn the switch on in their heart. Right. And you know, it's like you we can water. Paul says, you know, man can water and, you know, sow a seed, water the seed, but you can't make it grow. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've just, in my years of ministry, it's like sometimes there was a response and sometimes there wasn't. It's like a man who casts out seed, right? Yep. Sometimes the seed grows, sometimes it doesn't. And, and truthfully, you can start to feel lousy if, as a, you know, an evangelist or whatever, if it, you don't see immediate growth. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus would say, I'm drawing people to myself. You know, if you go to a town and they don't listen to you, it's okay. Don't come. You don't need to try to figure out a better way to preach to them. Go to the next town. Wipe, wipe the dust off your feet. Right. So that that's sort of where I was going with that question. I don't know if that exactly answers what you're asking. No, I think it, I think it does. And just, just the, like... The reality of the fact that we are commanded to do this. Mm-hmm. And so, and sometimes tools and programs help us to do this. Like I know that um, there's been growing up in a, a parachurch organization, not growing up, but being in several parachurch organizations uh-huh. in uh, high school and then in college, uh, like, you know, there's tools and methods that they teach you of like, okay, here's a concise pictorial way to share the gospel. Yeah. And like, it's one of those things where at first you're like, oh, I know what the gospel is. And then, but, but to try to concisely explain it to someone, it's like, oh, actually, this tool is helpful just right. so that I know how to get started. And yeah. sometimes a program or something like that is a way that you can use the body's, like, gifts 
of like, you know, who's good at hospitality, they can welcome people in and who's good at actually sharing the gospel, they can mm-hmm. be and, you know, be able to work together as a body to reach out mm. to other people too. Um, because mm. it's it's good and commanded, but right, it's not we don't do it because we're seeking necessarily big numbers or we're seeking results. We're doing it so that we can see lives transformed. But of course you're hoping for big results. Well, yes. <laughs> one always asks yeah. and hopes for big, one, yeah. you know, you should start praying that, uh, what happened at Nineveh, you know, the whole, the whole city, we just need all of East Glenville to there just, you, you know, show up in a day. And speaking of praying, <laughs> I ended with a challenge. You did. Um, and I, the challenge was to, to take 20 minutes, set aside a special time with God, mm-hmm. get 20 minutes with, um, alone with God and, and think about your relationships with people outside the church. So the specific thing was first, just, just think of the different areas of your life and write down names in a notebook or a journal. And, and then as you write down names, lift them up to God and see if God gives you any direction or what happens with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was it. It, it you know, wasn't to actually necessarily do something right away. How, how did you respond? How, how would you respond to that challenge? Like, or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, so to me, it actually, it reminded me of other kind of challenges that I've done through InterVarsity, which is the mm-hmm. um, group I've done. And so we will do things like called network maps where we actually sit and think through like, okay, who, what are all the groups and things I'm a part of and who are okay. all the people I know? And you like you very quickly to be like, well, at work, I have like a lot of connections there and like, oh, at like this extracurricular sport thing, I have a bunch of connections. And so suddenly you're like, wow, I actually interface with a lot of people. So it, I was like, well, I could end up with a lot of names on my paper by okay. the end of that 20 minute prayer time. Um, and that's exactly what basically I was taking that tactic. I didn't have a name for it. Yeah. So network map. Yep. Next time I do that. Okay. <laughs> now I know what to call it. Yeah. Um, and so, so that definitely, and to me, sometimes that's like, wow, that's, there's a lot of people that I can invest in. And then sometimes I'm like, wait, that's a lot of people to Mm. invest in. And that's a lot of time. And so I think like the thing, I I liked how you approach it, not just like do an exercise of like, okay, who are the people in your life that you have connections to, but also the like incorporating prayer into it. Mm. Um, and we've done things where I've done things where it's like, oh, a pray to card where it's like, you know, a piece of paper, like just pick two people out of your network map that you're Mm going to intentionally pray for and intentionally like invest in those relationships and see what God does with it. And it's kind of a, like you sit in prayer and see, okay, okay, which are the two people you had mentioned in your sermon? Like who are the people God's laying on your heart? So it's like, which, which are the two people who I feel like, no, I I really think those are the ones I want to reach out to and uh, continue to develop a relationship with, or like actually, you know, share some of the things that I've been learning in, um, in scripture and something like that, just to start a conversation and see where they're at, or even just ask them what their background is. Yeah. I mean, some of the idea, some of what I hope would happen is someone would say, you know, I should invite that person to coffee. Mm. And it may be just starting there. Yeah. You know, not necessarily inviting them to church right away. Who knows what can happen, but you know, let's go get coffee or let's, um, I should just call them and see how they're doing. Yeah. Um, so I did it myself. I, I try not to tell people to do things and not do it myself. Um, and, and I came to a realization that here in upstate New York, 
I don't know many people outside the church. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Ooh, I, I didn't, my list was not very long. There's a lot of blank space on my paper. And I mean, I have a lot of reasons. I mean, one is I spend all my time working with the church and church people. And so yeah. I've invested in getting to know them and as I should, um, I'm new to the area and I've come in a year when you're not supposed to meet people and <laughs> so it's been COVID. Yep. Um, and the other factor being someone my age where you get to know people is through your kids and my kids have not yet started in programs. But so the, the big difference with that is, is now my son's Ben's starting cross country. Mm. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'll meet some parents on the cross country team. Yep. And I see some possibilities with that. The, the other thing I thought of is, is I am checking into this ministry to international students at union college and maybe for me in my position, I have to be more intentional mm-hmm. and specifically do something like that because I'm just not naturally going to bump into yeah. people outside the church, non-believers nearly as much as someone who has a, a job, right. a day job. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even for me, a day job is a lot different than like when I used to be living on a college campus because we, yeah. we lived together. And so it's like, I lived with people who are not Christians yeah. and did life with them and did homework and schoolwork with them. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's definitely, it makes sense though, of coming here during a pandemic and yeah. just in general, not helping. <laughs> no. And there, I mean, there, there just are seasons of life where this is different. And I think, like you, I learned a lot of these things in a parachurch world with student orientation. Yep. And and what works there, it's just it's just your life is different when you have kids or or right. you're in these different times. Um, but I still think some of the principles are the same. And the the one I hope people kind of take away is I, I'm convinced God is already at work mm-hmm. in people around you. You know, you don't have to convince God to want to save them. You know, no. you just, and whatever it is that, that get to that point is I think maybe God can use you to be a part of that process in some small way. Yeah. And I like that being, being a part of the process. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, I haven't yet experienced a time when I was the person who first introduced someone to Jesus and then also like, you know was the first introduction and was the one who brought them across the finish line, just Mm. to say it like that. And like saw them fully get involved in a church. Usually I'm one of the pieces in the middle. Um, And so I think that, yeah, just being able to be open to non-believers about our faith um, and just having coffee and, you know, showing differences of perspective of how we deal with problems because like, I have a Jesus backing versus somebody who doesn't Yeah, um, is a great way to just start and to, you know, do some planting of seeds or do some watering of some other seeds that someone else planted and hmm. to just let God do the rest. That might be a good place to end it. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect if we make this too long, no one else will care. Yep. <laughs> and um, I, I will just say for, um, you know, if you've listened this far, we were kind of hoping to, to keep trying this out and maybe open the door for others to add questions in. Yeah. And so Jess has kind of taken the lead on that. Um, so we're just sort of seeing what happens, thinking this could be a good way to explore the the Bible and, and understand it better. Any last words? No, I think you, I think you hit that nail on the head. All right. So, thank you for your time, Pastor Mitch. Thanks for setting this up. Yeah.